thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread. This is episode 54. And I'm speaking to you today from Chiang Rai, northern Thailand. I was able to spend a week in uh, Cambodia, another week in the Philippines with our great EDGE staff there. They're putting together a really awesome media ministry for the Philippines. Then this week in Thailand, and now we leave tonight and spend a week in Burma. And there's just some amazing things happening in the nation of Myanmar, as it's called now. And uh, we want to be there and be part of it and also record it so that we can uh, help tell the story better. Today's thread is a very important one. It's about acknowledging our own moral failures. And we're going to read in Mark chapter 14, verse 66 through 72. This is the famous story of the denial, Peter's denial of Jesus. So it's something we all need to take a minute. Ponder what happened to him. He's a big, strong man of God, and uh, he failed pretty miserably. Got back on his feet, thank God. That's why we know this story, because uh, he told it himself. But we want to look into his story today and see what we can take out of this for ourselves. One, to protect ourselves, and two, to um, let us know what we have to do. When you do mess up, what is the only proper response that will get you back on your feet. So come right back with your Bible for more on Trick. All right, we're back in Mark chapter 14, verse 66 through 72. You know that we even have this story is a testament to the character and humility of Simon Peter. He was the first leader of of the Christian community and uh, you know, the one that the Lord Jesus entrusted things to, and it was Peter's leadership that took us forward. And this story was put into scripture in that season. You know, he's a the great leader of the church and you tend to protect the great leaders of the church and of any institution. Cause you think, Oh, you know, we don't want the scandal. We don't want to hurt weak people. They might think we're not, we're not really what we say we are. And so you can tend to gloss over things that are done by people in leadership. But, you know, here's Peter, the leader of the church. And yet this story is being told not just by others, but really it's by him. Um, let's look a little bit about him. Michael Card said, Peter is the only fully formed personality in the Gospels. And by that, he means uh, there's so much said about Peter that we actually know what he was like as a person. Some of the 12, we hardly have any mention except for their name, and we don't really know what they did or who they were. But Peter's someone that, I mean, you, you know Simon Peter. If you read the scriptures and everything that is said about him and read his own words, uh, you get a clear picture of somebody. He is um, every man's man. He's strong. He's uh, physical. He's opinionated. He says things he later regrets. He's an activist. He believes we can change things if we work hard enough. Uh, Peter needed to be needed. Peter was bold. He was a take-charge man. 
And uh, here in today's story, three and a half years into his Christian journey as a leader, he had a major moral failure. And um, I think it's really important to know that early church leaders, early Christian leaders understood that the story is not about us. It's not the story about our global ministry. It's a story about God and God's amazingly generous heart. So when Peter himself told the story of who Jesus was and what his sacrifice has done to restore us to God and the kind of heart that Jesus has to explain who Jesus is, Peter always included this story of his personal humiliation. Story starts actually back in verse 53. Jesus has been arrested and, you know, uh, Peter and the others, Jesus told them tonight, you're all going to forsake me and run. And Peter said, no, they might not me. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you. And furthermore, you're not only going to run away, but before this night is over and before you hear the rooster crow twice, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said, no, this is not possible. I will die with you. I will die a horrible death with you, Lord. So uh, that's how the conversation was left. Uh, and now Jesus has been arrested late into the night as they were out in the garden. They were praying. Judas betrayed and brought the high priest and their guards to Jesus. And they arrested him. They've had him on trial. And they are now, they've condemned him and they're beating him and they're spitting all over him. But while all this is going on, Simon Peter has a direct line of sight because he has come into the courtyard. Verse 53 and 54 says, Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and he warmed himself at the fire. So he is there. And watching the apparent helplessness of Jesus. Now, he has never seen this before. He's seen Jesus face these same people out in the street in front of thousands. And Jesus was so fierce that they backed down. You know, Jesus cleansed their temple and uh, kicked over their money changers tables. And he has always been the one totally in charge of the power situation between the two groups. Now, however, Peter's watching a, a different Jesus. He's never seen him like this. He's meek. He's quiet. He's taking all the blows. He's, he's a lot like a lamb that's just standing there quietly next to the butcher while he sharpens his knife and then gets slaughtered. Because lambs don't make a big fuss over it. They just kind of stand there. And this is the first point as we're going to watch Peter collapse. And here's point one, and we all need to notice this. Peter is out of his element. Uh, he's away from his community. He's away from his sources of accountability. And accountability doesn't mean that somebody's digging into all the details of your life. It means that you are living your life around them openly and they see your actions. They're able to be a second observer to the way you're choosing to live. And we all know that behavior that is observed changes. And if we get the right people around us, they can help us to become what we want. And in the same way, if you get yourself surrounded by 
the wrong kind of people. You know, if you stay in the company of cynics and uh, sarcastic people and bitter people and people who uh, easily find the faults of others and and mock others, if you stay in that circle, I'm telling you, you're going to become like them. If you're in the circle of people who worry and hypochondriacs, you're going to find yourself thinking you've got sicknesses too. Our community changes us. We are social beings. And so we need to choose our community intelligently that these are the people I'm choosing. And the reason I'm choosing them is they will help me be the me that I want to be. They'll take me to a higher place instead of leading me down to a lower place. So Peter has had the Lord in his life. He's had the other apostles in his life. He's had his ministry. He's had the routine of life with Jesus. Get up early in the morning. You have prayer. Uh, you eat food together. There's always a togetherness. And now here's Peter standing alone. And he's surrounded by people who are not encouraging him. They are not seeking God. He is in the place and with the people of darkness. And he is he's uh, outnumbered. Um, in verse 66, Peter's typical boldness wilts when he is confronted by a young teenage girl who points an accusing finger at him. She says in verse 67, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 68 says, Peter denies it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're saying. And he gets up and he leaves the group and he goes out in a balcony area and the scripture says, and a rooster crowed. I think this is an interesting situation because he hasn't finished the test and he hasn't exactly, I mean, he's already denied, but not the way he's going to. At this stage, it's almost like he's being given the mercy of God. There's a warning crow and he's being given a chance to escape his failure. You know, failure is right in front of him, and he is leaning so hard toward that ditch. And now he's made his first slip, major slip, and a rooster crows. And, you know, it's funny how many times, and maybe this is what angels do, uh, how many times in, in my own life, and also as I hear the stories of others who are my trusted brothers and sisters, and they tell me the stories uh, of their own moral failures or of a near failure. And then just before it happened, some strange thing, you know, I had a, I had a two friends and they were serious believers and actually, uh, important leaders in the body of Christ. And they said, when we were dating, um, you know, we knew God's standard and we were trying to keep God's standard sexual purity between us and we were looking toward marriage and we were thinking about marriage and uh, there was a night though that we were alone in the house together and there was nobody there and temptation started to grow and we got to the point that we both uh caved in you know we both abandoned our christian morals and they said as we were getting our clothes off suddenly the um the bookshelf in the hall just broke loose from the wall and hit the floor and everything that was heavy on it went with it. And they said, you know, we both, we sat up so startled. And then we said, we need to get out of the house. 
You know, these little things that God does, a doorbell rings or someone else walks up who knows you just as you're about at a decision point to do something you really shouldn't do. The mercy of God. He doesn't want us to fail. He won't uh, prevent us from failing. Our will is our own. And we will be as um, as holy and as sincere toward God as we decide to be. He will not make it be so. But he does help us. You know, and here in Peter's case, Peter has a good heart. He really wants to follow the Lord and be loyal. But now he is he is not ready for this. He thought he was ready for it. He is not. He's about to fail. And God sends him a warning crow to say, last chance. All you got to do is walk away, you know, either walk away or go back in there even better and look at that girl, take a deep breath and say, yes, I, I lied to you. And I want to say, I'm sorry about that. And I want to stand up and say, yes, I am here because of Jesus. I am one of his, I mean, that's what he knows he should do, but he, he doesn't do it in verse 69. This little girl is like a Jack Russell Terrier, and she is hunting him. So she is moving through the crowd. She's trying to spot him because she's uh, she's certain that she has seen him before. And this time, the first time, it was between her and Peter and whoever was standing by him. It was, be, you know, she said, you. Well, now she says it to the other people there. She raises her voice and says this, you know, like a warning dog barking. This is one of them. This is one of his followers. Uh, and so she's accusing Peter this time, saying, you are in community with his people. You are one of his followers. You know, her first accusation was, you are with him. You're not against him. You're on his side. The second one is, you are one of his people. You're in community with those who follow him. You are one of his disciples and uh, this time you know she's not she's not doing it to him in the face she's doing it into the whole crowd this one here and uh, people began to take a very great interest in Peter and they gather around him and they're talking to him and they're inspecting and you know he feels the the walls coming in and he is trapped by this crowd in verse 70 the uh, crowds people standing by him say hmm your diction betrays you. You, When you speak, you speak like someone from Galilee. You are definitely one of his. And then it happens. Verse 71, there's an instant, total moral collapse. Peter begins to curse and swear, I don't even know this man of whom you speak. I mean, he is totally denying Jesus, he doesn't know him. He doesn't follow him. He's not on his side. And now he just, you know, and that's kind of how it happens. It's, it's like a spiritual dam break. You've been holding against the pressure of the world and the pressure of sin and the pressure of temptation. And it's pushing on you and you're strong and you're pushing back. And, you know, you're fighting to be moral. You're fighting to be um, loyal to God. And then there is a moment. It's like you hit the tipping point. And at this moment, your will yields and you just totally go. You let that flow, that force of sin pushing against you. 
you just lift up your feet and you get carried off by it. Uh, and that's what happens to Peter. I mean, he is sunk so much lower than he ever dreamed. It's his own words, you know. He didn't just um, make a gesture or fail to do good. He is pouring out curses and curses on himself if he's lying. May this happen to me and that happen. And, you know, his behavior is so opposite of what anybody who follows Jesus would ever do. And so he's he's hoping by that to, uh, you know, get himself out of this pressure that he's in. I know about moral collapse because when I was in my first year of college, I had lived a, a very uh, rebellious life as a teenager. And then I came to college in my very first year. I had a wonderful encounter with a loving God who wrapped his arms around me and forgave everything I had done. And I uh, restored relationship with my heavenly father, but also with my earthly father. And it was uh, beautiful. My life was perfect. And I began to uh, diligently seek the Lord. I was praying like three hours a day. And there was a group of us. We never spoke to each other, but we would see each other in the prayer room. And there were other people, you know, that had the same kind of heart. And we would be there, you know, in the day and in the night, in the lunch hour. We were just pouring ourselves out for God. And people noticed it. Not They didn't notice who was in the prayer room, but they saw the change in me. And God started using me. And my life became attractive. And he started giving me influence on the campus. And I started a Bible study. And uh, I started kind of rising up. So I'd gone from... Uh, drug-using, rebellious, snarling, bad-attitude teenager to pretty amazing transformation. And I felt called uh, to preach within a few months, and I had accepted that calling. And now people were starting to come around me, and I was starting to get some invitations to go and speak in churches. And the Lord would check me in my heart and say, no, you're not doing that. And I thought, you know, hey, they're calling me. You know, it's my calling. I'm supposed to preach the word. And God knew, you know, you are not ready for this. You think you are, but you're not. And so uh, to just make a long story short, a person entered my life at college that I started trying to rescue. And it was just a, it was just a trap. It was a relationship that was designed to break me down, and I remember my week of hell, and it was just like, instead of pushing back, there was just this weekend, for whatever reason, I just broke, and everything I used to do that was terrible to do, I was right back into it, but I was in absolute misery every second. Um, after a few days of it, I just almost felt, I felt so much despair I was so ashamed of myself, I would not even think to talk to God. By the end of that week, I was just uh, a, like a, I don't know, ragdoll, no backbone, no spirit, no confidence, no integrity, just nothing. Um, and I just remember going so deep into my mental cave and I didn't want to talk to God, and I didn't want to see anybody, and I just hated myself. I hated what I had done to my my chance and to my name now as a disciple of Jesus and just how humiliated 
I was and that I would I had I had done everything that I I had tried to get away from. And uh, I remember that. I remember just refusing to pray. And it wasn't I wasn't mad at God. I was just I couldn't face him. I just couldn't face him. And I remember going down the road one day and I turned on the radio because I couldn't have silence. And um, there was a song from Kansas. <laughs> it said, uh, carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Uh, lay your weary head to rest and don't you cry no more. And it was like, oh, I can't believe he's, I can't believe he's reaching out his hand to take me back after all this. And, you know, it, it, it happened to Peter. Peter is in the middle of this cursing denunciation of Jesus. When the rooster crows, and verse 72 says, Peter remembered everything that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Uh, in Luke's story, it says that even as he's being beaten, when that rooster crows, because Peter has a direct line of sight to Jesus, he can see what's going on with Jesus. And that's what makes his own heart so full of fear. Because, you know, God doesn't come to rescue Jesus. He's just powerless, like a victim in the hands of these men. But it says uh, in Luke's gospel that as the rooster crowed and Peter was pouring out these curses, Jesus turned his head and looked directly at Peter. And it just broke Simon Peter. And he went out and wept bitterly. I don't think he looked at him to accuse him. I think he looked at him to sympathize with him. Because he was a man who was trapped in the weakness of his sinful flesh. Actually, Jesus had come to Peter in the garden in verse 38. Uh, as Jesus was preparing himself for his test and praying over and over again, going back and just agonizing before the Father to get himself ready for this challenge, Peter should have been doing the same because his test was coming. Jesus had already told him tonight, your test also. I'm going to be tested, and so are you. And Peter keeps falling asleep, and Jesus wakes him up, and finally he says to him in verse 38, Hey, look, watch and pray lest you enter temptation, because your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I think that's the situation that we find ourselves in a lot of times. God knows our intention is honorable. We really do want to follow him. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if we get ourselves uh, one full of self-confidence, I think that's one of the great keys to keeping yourself from a moral collapse is don't trust yourself. Sit, uh, set guidelines up for yourself so that you will have accountability. Um, men, get triple X watch on, installed on your computer. Do other things that keeps you from having secrecy uh, against sins of the flesh. Then you've got uh, how you handle money. Well, you need accountability. You need, uh, you need groups that oversee how you handle, especially if you've got ministry money. You really shouldn't be touching that cash. You need to have that in the hands of other people, and you need to sit in council and decide how God's money is best spent in an ethical way and in a way that uh, is in keeping with the kingdom. Don't allow yourself the privileges of, uh, of secrecy, and uh, I'll just be the leader, and I'll just make all the decisions, and... These are guidelines we need because sin is always present around us. And 
And a lot of times you're not going to fail God with the huge thing. It's the little thing. I mean, this was just a kid. You know, I don't know if Peter had been faced by a big burly man as his very first accuser. Who knows? You know, maybe man to man that would have roused something. But it's just a little girl. and Peter did not see that one coming. And she was the one that wouldn't let it go. And uh, she just scared him. And I don't know what it's going to be for you. But, you know, don't trust yourself. Give yourself the accountability that you need so that uh, you can keep yourself safe and away from temptation in this way. But let's remember this, too. If you do, by getting outside of your fellowship circle, by getting away from your accountability, by removing yourself from um, uh, the kind of structures that can keep us out of trouble, if we do all the things wrong and we get ourselves in a mess and we do mess up, understand that the only way back is to come clean about it. You can't hide it. You can't hide it and sweep it under the rug and God will cooperate with that because really God doesn't care about our reputations. He doesn't care if the ministry would be embarrassed if the truth was told. He's had this happen to him so many times. What he cares about is righteousness and integrity. And we will never be right with God until we are honest about our own sinfulness. When you blow it and you mess up in a major way, you got to tell somebody. Peter just told the story. He didn't hide the story. I'm sure he wished it had never happened. And and I'm sure there were many in the church that would say, I wish we didn't have to tell this thing over and over again. That's our leader. But in the end, it's not about us. It's about God. And if we want to be right with God, we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. So let's, if we're going to be sinners and if we're going to blow it from time to time, hopefully not this big, let's at least not add lying to our big list of sins. Find some trusted people and let's be honest and tell the truth about what's going on in our life. Hey, if you need to talk to me about anything that's going on in your life, you can email me directly, chuck at quinley.com, chuck at quinley.com. That's all for now. We'll see you next time on Thrill.